Welcome to Beauty as a Birthright, a podcast where we decode the evolving concept of beauty from a multidimensional lens. In this space, we embark on a journey with engaging guests from all walks of life to figure out if beauty is a birthright, then what's our legacy? So let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Beauty as a Birthright. Today, we have writer Kyle Yoshioka, who is the editor and content manager of Influential Point. They also identify as a biracial, non-binary, and neurodivergent queer person. This has given them an intimate understanding of how interpersonal, intergenerational, and intercultural factors influence health. Their ultimate goal is to help you both honor and detangle the ways in which you have adapted to a weird and sometimes vicious world. Welcome, Kyle. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yay! Applause, applause. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to talk to you. So, you know, we open all of our episodes by asking our guests, what is the most beautiful thing about you today? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> those are your place weeping. to shine <laughs> I'm just gonna start weeping um, wow uh, today I would say um, I'm finding beauty in my ability to just um, be resilient in the face of things that are both annoying and mundane and also sort of more I don't know cosmic and large there's takes like an equal amount of energy to deal with both sometimes and I'm, I'm finding that uh capacity that I have both surprising and beautiful mm-hmm. oh I love that that's it's just uh, existing <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah it's also tax season so that has something to do with it. yeah <laughs> Yeah. So Kyle, in addition to being biracial, you also identify as non-binary, neurodivergent, queer person. And these identities are very fluid and dynamic. And so I'm curious to know how has each of these intersectional identities shaped or are shaping the way you see beauty in yourself or in others or just like in general? Mm, that's a good question. And it, yeah, it is really fluid. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, at times I think it makes it hard to find like mileposts or anchors in that way. So, uh, I mean, I think it informs everything about me, not just like my perception of beauty, but I think um, like being in a kind of intersection within an intersection is really fertile ground for like creative ways to understand how things work like you kind of don't have the benefit of like relying on an artifice or like i don't know a i don't know like a shallow stereotype or like a a a kind of idea of how things are supposed to work it's like going into it i'm often like already kind of having to negotiate my own presence or like how much space i'm taking up or how i can occupy space both like, like I'm half Japanese, half white. Mm. And I think like, I don't know, even from like an early age, like my acceptance has been conditional in a way, like from family stuff to like spaces where um, like oppressed people, marginalized people have space to just be themselves. Like I'm always sort of questioning where I belong in that. And I think it's good, like it's good to have that self-inquiry kind of baked in but 
it also makes things feel very conditional or like fragile, maybe more fragile. I don't take things for granted around mm -hmm. how I occupy space. So I think for a long time that affected how I saw my own beauty. Like it made me feel like I, first of all, that I couldn't really have the luxury to think about that. Like I was more thinking about how do I exist? And I think at that time when I was younger, like and maybe like, you know, around puberty and early twenties was like, I can't really even think about something that felt as like abstract as beauty. It was more like, how do I get through this? Or how do I like, I just, how do I take up space? Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, I realized that, I mean, I'm a Taurus, like I, <laughs> I have a strong aesthetic sense and need. Um, and I realized that Finding strong aesthetic beauty. need yeah, <laughs> luxury exactly <laughs> i mean yes yeah it's 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 definitely luxury and i think in other ways too but um i would i'll take luxury um but it's like i i realized at some point that um beauty is not like frivolous or even like abstractness you can you can take it to an abstract level but like there's something very um, nourishing about beauty and that can be an entry point into like how you I don't know how you frame your existence on some level and so at a certain point yeah like it clicked for me that actually like having some kind of appreciation for um, beauty which I think can encompass like an aesthetic appreciation of life it like makes life worth living on some level so it's made me really lean into that realization um and really like not made me or made me uh, unable to take it for granted if that makes sense it's yeah kind of it reminds it all, me a it lot together it reminds me of, like some of the things that you said reminded me of um one of our previous guests jamie who is non-binary um trans queer and he talked a lot about this idea of um, space, kind of what you touched upon, but like space and sometimes it's you, some people don't have the space to really fully show up as a beautiful person or experience beauty. And, and sometimes expressing your beauty is not safe for some people. And so I, do you feel that way or have you, and then it also made me think like, do people who are who are marginalized and there are intersectional identities over intersectional identities um, have to create their own space mm. and and hope that people join their space or maybe space yeah. is more fluid? I you know totally yeah I mean I think it's um, I think beauty can be dangerous right like there's power in mm -hmm. beauty and I think like it certainly is a compelling and attractive force. And if you occupy an identity that people find threatening or that they're projecting insecurity or fear onto, then yeah, if you like, if you are beautiful and you are like uh, embodying all of the power of that, you are, you're not inherently threatening, but like in a practical way you are, and you're kind of put into a position of having to yeah, make your own space, defend your space, um, 
And whether that be like a literal physical kind of thing, which is absolutely plausible and happens, but also um, in a representational way in um, like, like, you know, like a media sense or like representation of yourself, um, the visibility kind of piece of, of, of representation and equity, that's kind of on a psychological level, a way that, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to access beauty if you have never seen it modeled how someone in your position can yeah. occupy mm -hmm. it not that that's impossible but it is another step um and i think it's a really valuable fertile step obviously like people who are in marginalized or oppressed identity groups are you know some of the most creative people and i think there's a reason for that mm -hmm. it shouldn't have to be that way but right it is a constraint that does i think it just necessitates making things that are beautiful there's like another reason to live you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how much of you like growing up it sounds like time was spent really trying to figure out your identities or your place or where that falls and so you didn't necessarily have the space and freedom to then explore what beauty meant under all of those identities but now that you're older and it sounds like you've really settled into how you see yourself and how you present yourself, how much of you does have now free, all that freedom and space to now explore your beauty? And then how much of you is still kind of conditioned to take pods and evaluate, you know, your place, your space, what you're free to do, what you feel like you're not, et cetera. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's, I think both are present. Um, they're in a dialogue with each, with each other more than, uh, more than when I was younger. Um, mm -hmm. I do feel kind of a liberty to, um, I don't, I mean, I, I think I frame it now as being like really super confident or like pathologically confident. I, I use that phrase to, around myself sometimes, <laughs> like I, yeah. I don't have a Wait, lot of hold self-consciousness What anymore. does yeah. pathologically uh, confident mean? <laughs> How do you define that? Because like, I'm like, maybe I well, have this. <laughs> I think, um, I mean, I've used, I've used that phrase to describe myself a lot. And I think it means like, in spite of everything, somehow delusionally, you remain confident. <laughs> um, despite like being like, I don't know, tamped down at times. Like there's a sort of unflappable... Um, I don't know, not illogical, but like un improbable kind of confidence. Mm -hmm. um, but there's resilience think, there. There's like yeah, a lot of resilience sure. and a yeah. lot of um, self-induced delusion that you're willing to admit. <laughs> I have this. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah. sounds oh, familiar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's like fully like I am a I am a like diet in the wool contrarian. Like I <laughs> love to like go against popular opinion or like. I'm not a devil's advocate, but like, if I think, if I believe in something and I have the ability to debate and defend it, I will. Um, and especially when it's things like, when it's like this kind of thing, when, uh, I don't know, being messaged that I shouldn't be confident for whatever reason. Um, some, it like lights some kind of fire in me to be able to be like, oh, you think that? Well, <laughs> I have news for you. Where like, does that come from? It. Were you always like I'm, this? Yeah, I've I've been stubborn and like I have a lot of anger, I think. And yeah. I think that's a positive thing ultimately. I didn't yeah. used to think that. Um mm -hmm. but yeah, I have some kind of fire that I can access. It's it's like I think it's partly because 
um like i presented pretty young for a long time like people would under underestimate my age a lot and kind of infantilize me mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. to, to compensate for that i would be like i'm i don't know i have a big vocabulary i read a lot of books instead of making friends <laughs> and so like i could like project this like <laughs> this like precocious confidence um when people were diminishing my physical presence i think part of it is that too so it's it's like it's like a lot defined by like defiance and like projection um yeah yeah mm-hmm. i don't know if, i don't know if i'm answering the original question but that was a good tangent <laughs> do you I mean, have I'm, that page yeah this like um how do you call it? pathological confidence mm. i don't think so because your page is like, no, I'm just really confident. Like, this yeah. is me. <laughs> There's nothing yeah. pathological about this. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah. funny because, like, I asked Paige one time, because I'm so into cults, right? Like, oh, God, like mm. all the cult podcasts, anything cult-related, I'm just, like, obsessed with. And I, I'm always thinking, like, could I possibly join a cult? You know, because I'm always looking a for community, leader. right? Uh-huh. Well, here's the thing. I was like, I could totally see myself joining a cult up until the point where they start taking away your protein or messing with your sleep or <laughs> suggesting we should drink this con- like um, drink. And then I'd just be out of there and I'd, be, I'd wake up and I'd be like, yeah. done, I'm out of here. And, and then I asked Paige this question. She's like, no, I don't think I could ever join a cult. She's like, but I think I could be a cult leader. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and that very, just changed my perception of her that I love her even more for that. <laughs> that's very Virgo energy too. That's great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm also a tiger. Oh, cool. To yeah. Kyle, yeah. so oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. that's the tiger energy. And then mm-hmm. I was like, I'd probably join Paige's cult. Like, I'd probably yeah. be in it. <laughs> the, you are in the cult. <laughs> love it. You you have no freedom. <laughs> okay, so. Something that I'm really interested in, Kyle, because I I am biracial and in the intake form, you share that you feel and you use the word extremely biracial. Mm -hmm. And so I'm super curious how this feeling came about and whether it's a reflection of equal cultural influences growing up in the household and then how this reflects in your perception of beauty and your appearance. Like, do you also see yourself as quote unquote, extremely biracial physically, apart from feeling this way. So this is something I'm really interested in. Yeah. I mean, it's very on brand for me to have a very polarizing statement like that. But um, <laughs> the extremely thing is like, I, it's, it's, a, it's a factor or a function of like feeling very displaced for so long and like not knowing where I, where I resided. Um, and like fluctuating throughout my life between identifying more uh, more like as a white person and then more as an Asian person and like kind of flip-flopping back and forth in this really disjointed way, um, which, I mean, it, it was for a good reason. Like um, my family of origin, uh, there's a lot of like race-based conflict around um, like the white side of my family, a little racist the <laughs> Japanese side of my family also a little racist uh mm-hmm. and like my and my parents being kind of like a weird um defiance of that as well like I don't know when they were together um the court case that made interracial marriage legal had only happened maybe like 
two decades before. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like they were, I don't know, I'm sure they got shit about it. And can I swear? Is that okay? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, (laughs) Great. Uh, Yeah. So um, there was a lot of tension growing up. Uh, Not that any of it was ever acknowledged, but a lot of tension around, um, around race and around uh, how the, their, their two families were like kind of in stark opposition, opposition to one another. How did they meet Um, your parents? My my mom was my dad's karate instructor. Uh, Okay. And your mom is white. Yeah. Both of my parents are uh, black belts. My mom, second degree, second degree black belt. And my dad is, I think he's testing for his sixth, sixth degree. Um, But my mom is a better practitioner than my dad. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, so that's how they met. Um, So kind of, kind of a fun, unlikely story, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. I I guess I just feel like this distillation of like a lot of intergenerational, intercultural tension um, resulted in me. Uh, and then I had to kind of like, I feel like a, a mission of my life is like exorcising a lot of, uh, trauma that was passed on to me. Mm-hmm. And that's part of it for sure. Like my inheritance is like reconciling or I don't know, maybe not, maybe that's a big ask of me, but like at least living with some kind of resolution or peace around the fact that, um, the constituent parts of me are, kind of indirect opposition with one another. So that's that internally, that's like spiritually or cosmically, that's a kind of what I mean by by that. Mm-hmm. And then in the in the reality of living between those two worlds, um, and the fact that those two worlds never felt uh congruent. Um yeah, it just it threw me for a loop for so long around like how to identify and how to think of myself. Um, and so at a certain point I was like, actually I like I'm neither Japanese or white. I'm this third thing. Mm. Um, and that's how I could be at peace with the fact that uh, I felt fractured in a way. Um, and so the resolution of it is just like, okay, well, I am neither. I'm another thing entirely. Um, Mm -hmm. And I find that, I mean, I think a a kind of blind spot for non-Asian people, non-Asian American people, I should specify, is like the huge difference between like generations of Asian American families, the difference between being Asian from Asia and Asian American, um, the differences between Asian cultures within the culture. It's like, it's a huge, Mm -hmm. like it's a melting Mm -hmm. pot within a melting pot. Um, and the two different coasts and Hawaii. Yeah, yeah, like exactly. yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> there's so much. Yeah, there's so much, so many points of of differentiation. Um, and I think like having having a biracial background is another is another thing entirely, and it's informed by you know what generation you are. Yeah, what coast you're on. Social classes. Um, yeah, like class, rich, super rich sure. Asians. I'm like, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. y'all yeah. are different league. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can't relate, <laughs> if only. Um, yeah, so it's, it's. I think when I say extremely biracial, it's like, it feels very much uh, like an inheritance and a coping mechanism and just like a statement of reality too. Um, 
and the like it's it's a sort of statement around refusing to kind of code switch that much like i don't i don't know i i'm just going to be who mm-hmm. i am and i'm not going to like make people feel more com- i don't i don't feel any drive to make people feel comfortable around my intersections mm-hmm. and i don't feel a drive to make myself more legible for people for the sake of convenience oh, that's huge yeah oh yeah. my god that's like it's so blown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have so much to say about that. But I'm also Do curious because Paige, you're biracial and you're mm-hmm. multicultural. And so right. does, you know, when Kyle was explaining all of this, does this resonate with you? Have you had similar thoughts? So the nice thing about Hawaii is we do have like a third and fourth identity outside of mm-hmm. if you're biracial. So we, you two probably heard the word hapa. Mm-hmm. which is mixed it's one like um typically asian mixes with what we call haoli which is basically white and so we can say hapa haoli or hapa so you can also just fall under that identity and you don't have to worry about which two made you hapa so that's nice and then the fourth is just local so local people are very mixed here They'll have Hawaiian, they'll have Portuguese, they'll have different types of Asian, they'll have some Haoli. So you can also just be seen as local. And we can really discern who's local and who's not. I mean, you could be mixed and be in Hawaii, but we know you wouldn't be local depending on how you dress, carry yourself, talk and act. And yeah. When I went to Hawaii, they thought I was a local. Oh my God. Everywhere Uh I went. That's so I was like, oh, impressive. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> that is That's very a, impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Pathological confidence. Shining through my sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. So I didn't have to straddle that too much. Um, but my dad's side of the family who lives on the US mainland and my mom's side of the family who's Chinese local in Hawaii. When we would go to my dad's side of the family, it would always be a cultural shock. We'd always go to Colorado, which at the time was very, very white. Um, and I just remember there were times when we would do road trips. And if we stopped at a gas station, my dad, who's uh, white, would have to read the gas station to think about whether or not like my mom, my brother and I could come out wow. of the car. Um, and I think too, because there's a lot of reservations, like where we would be nearby. So he wasn't just worried that we would be discriminated because we were Asian, but he also didn't know if we'd be discriminated because people would think we were Native American. Mm-hmm. And so those are the two things that were always on the back of his mind when we would take these road trips um, out west and uh, the Rocky Mountain West mainly. So anyway, that's when it was like a big like, oh, this is. And I just remember small things like we'd stopped at a restaurant and they wouldn't have rice. And I would be like, what kind of place is this? They don't have rice. <laughs> like, who doesn't have rice? Like those little <laughs> things that I was so young, but I still understood. Like I was completely in a different place at that, you know, in that moment. So, but yeah, I had a, a few other identities to fall on and I didn't have to just be these polarizing like Chinese and white. So I think that's where Kyla and I have the difference. The Hawaiian culture. Mm-hmm. That's when I went to Hawaii, I went to this diner. I don't know why we were there, but they had like the buffet. It was just, you know, like 
kind of just like like the Holiday Inn kind of diner kind of thing, you know, nothing like nothing fancy. And they had the buffet thing and there was kimchi. And I was like, where am I? <laughs> like it blew my- it freaked me out because it was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm in a different part of world here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Hawaiian uh, culture. Uh, we should all just move there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I want to take a quick turn from this awesome, like heavy conversation we've been having, very intellectual, to thirst picks. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> well, I mean, what a great transition from beauty to thirst pick. It's so easy to pivot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, where I've been working on in terms of, like my beauty journey and all of this is like, I've been really <laughs> reflecting on the fact that I don't really understand sensuality and intimacy. Mm-hmm. I know a lot about sexuality and, right? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> I think cause I've always been sexually open, like, it's never been this like, read my chart. It's just never been like a thing for me. It's like, yes, try everything. If it's great, try it again. <laughs> if it's not that great, try one more time and make sure that it's not that great for you, you know? <laughs> but in my, as I've gotten older and like I've had other issues, I was just like, I don't know what it really means to be sensual and intimate and sexual like maybe all of those things at the same time and it's just something I've been really reflecting on like what does this mean for myself what does it mean when I'm with someone and so Kyle I love that you post thirst pics (laughs) 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 and I and I was telling Paige like I know what your ass looks like. I have no idea what your knees look like. (laughs) (laughs) Priorities. Yes. And like, I don't know. There's, I love that you just put it out there and it's super sexy. It's very intimate. It's very sensual. It's very tongue in cheek. It's like you, you also are kind of self-deprecating too, which I love. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm wondering, like, I also think it's very, it's very courageous of you to do this. (laughs) <laughs> but also because we're <laughs> yeah and so I'm wondering like are these photos fo- like do you put a lot of thought like what's the process hmm. of like taking okay. the photos oh, I and then, like I want to break it down I love this question um yeah I'm not a hero but yeah uh <laughs> I will show my ass um wow this is a really good question um okay so yeah I think a, a lot of thought goes into it um and yeah, there's a lot of calibrating, like, what's the composition of the photo? I don't, I don't, I should say, I don't take the photos generally. Um, I have a friend, David Hazeltine, who is uh, a photographer. Oh, so you need a good friend who knows your friend, angles. Number one, number one, you need a good photographer. Yeah, and it can give you some creative direction. <laughs> yeah, if the, if the content's not there, then don't even you know, yeah. start, start there. Um, make the content unimpeachably good. I would say like you can always lean on that and that's like a function of taste and that confidence that we were talking about like anyone can take a good thirst trap like there is no I don't believe in any normativity around thirst traps or photos that make you feel hot if you feel hot that's the only thing that matters mm-hmm. let's just mm-hmm. say that um because yeah thirst traps are transcendent it's very like um, <laughs> that, that's like, a, that's all going to be on our merch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> give me the royalties. Um, so yeah, so what goes into it? I mean, yeah, finding 
finding the content that really works for you that resonates with you is is one thing and I think like I don't know it's it's a, a process of getting to know yourself too like what are your what are your assets and more than that what do you think is hot about you and <laughs> how do you how do you show that to other people it's like I don't know Instagram is such garbage yeah. and like you might as well have some fun because it's like all a dumpster fire anyway so <laughs> A level of shamelessness is helpful, I would say. Yeah. Um, but the way that, I guess the way that I like try to um, have a little bit of control over how my image is consumed, mm -hmm. which is kind of a fool's errand, but like nonetheless, um, yeah, I like to have a little bit of like tongue in cheek, like framing, like um, some clever caption or some something contextually that like works to add some flavor to to the image if it were just like a dis disembodied but like i don't know it's not that interesting to me um like a booty and, shot and then your caption says yeah. like make sure you meditate every day <laughs> right like, like whatever like god it's yeah it's so like it's so transparent when people do that too it's yeah like, I know. like just show it doesn't you don't have to like make this virtuous like what are we doing here you know what you're doing we know what you're doing you, like, you don't have to temper don't temper the message you know what i'm saying i would love it just uh, blunt like i look yeah. fucking hot today yeah, and i decided to take this picture and yeah. you're welcome <laughs> yeah exactly like it's that um i cancel me i don't like Shit's creek that much but i do like the character of, of moira and she has some quote that's like when you're young like take just like take a whole bunch oh. of photos of yourself and then look back on it when you're older and don't feel as hot and like realize that you were super hot or whatever. It's like, That's it. Like I yeah. tell Paige all the time, like, <laughs> oh my God, when I was younger, I was so hot. And it's like, <laughs> I mean, I lived my life. Like I have no regrets. I'm a surprise. I'm still alive. I should be dead. And I had so yeah. much fun, but I should have probably pushed it even more <laughs> thinking about it. it. <laughs> and, and that would probably be like really shocking but now that I'm older I'm like oh my god I'm still cute now so I should be taking all these photos and like and like just you know owning myself so then mm -hmm. when I'm 60 and I realize oh I'm also cute at 60 mm -hmm. <laughs> you know like but look yep. back and be like and I, I think that's what I love about your photos because it's like a reminder of like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I'm yeah uh, no I was gonna ask Kyle I'm interested when you put them out there so I understand where you're coming from leading up to the post and then once it's out there are you hoping or like wanting or wishing for some specific type of feedback based on mm. how you came into that photo or are you completely mm. just like here we go. Whatever comes of this, I will accept and I'm happy with. And I did like my thing, mm -hmm. you know, like what's that process, the post post process. Yeah. It's I I'm, I'm doing some self-examination around that, but I'm pretty sure it's mostly the latter. Like it's, if, if I'm putting it out there, it's of high quality. Like I, it's like it's Love for it. me mm -hmm. and <laughs> like, even if people, even if I get like negative, I've never, I've never gotten like, negative criticism or like delete this or whatever, um, which I'm grateful for. But even if I did, I think it would be like, no, like I think it's good. So like your comment, your negative comment is nothing to me. Uh, mm -hmm. So like, it is it is a lot of that, that, that premeditated work around like, um, like I don't, I don't post things that I don't feel 
very like secure in posting in that like no matter who sees it it's it good you know like it's it's of uh enough quality and enough thought that like i would be i don't know i'm proud of all of them like it doesn't really uh i i enjoy i guess the validation that comes with it um and it took me a while to get there honestly but uh it's it's like a definite like boost but ultimately yeah it is very much like i'm doing this for myself and i know that it's good if you can't also see that it's good then that's not my problem i love wait do you like getting <laughs> validation yeah of course yeah of course. yeah some people um, don't so now I, i've been asking hmm. people it That's all your your yeah. story also reminds me of there's this musician Troy Sivan Sivan oh, yeah, right yeah, yeah. and so there was this leak of his nude photos mm. um and um they asked their manager uh or the manager was like you know it might come out on the internet mm. like you have these nude photos and they were like does it look good <laughs> yeah exactly like <laughs> like if they did I, not care if it's yeah, good then great yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if i ever if i if my nudes ever leak they exist um if they ever <laughs> leak it's a similar thing of like okay like i don't know i've done nothing wrong and post the hot, good ones <laughs> so yeah like i don't share again i don't share anything that's not like very good so what's what's the problem i know what the problem is like in a practical way but um <laughs> i just i think i think we're at a point culturally where we understand that like um i don't know our image is not completely under our own domain and people mm -hmm. who like maliciously share things that were not consented to being shared beyond that connection is bad so like i think luckily we're in a place where uh i would hope that it would be condemned it would condemn the person breaking that trust more than the person sharing yeah. i think it's i don't know it might i might be a little delusional about that, but I think it's at least we're kind of trending positively in that way. Mm -hmm. yeah. I wonder if it would be different if like, I wonder if you're the positive responses that you get are different because you're queer, you're non-binary. Mm -hmm. And if it would be different, if it's like a pretty girl, like a woman, like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it would be. And like, I present mm -hmm. masculine, mm -hmm. I, think, I think, I don't know. I it goes back and forth sometimes, but um yeah i'm sure i like i'm i'm definitely speaking from a place of privilege with like yeah leak my nudes whatever like that's <laughs> it's it's a very uh I, I don't think it's necessarily unearned but it's definitely like from a place of privilege that i can say that and i'm not i'm not encouraging people to leak my nudes <laughs> not saying that, but if it happened if there happened to be a breach of trust in that way like at least i know that like i look caught so could be worse i suppose <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah but it's 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 certainly a, a fragile and a delicate thing to talk about like how your image is disseminated and like who sees it and the kind of leap of faith that you have to take when you're when you're sharing it so yeah I, def I definitely don't want to understate that remember right. like a couple years ago there was this like hashtag trend of like women doctors in bikinis or bathing suit like apparently there was a a doctor who posted like herself, I remember this. right? And then all these doctors are posting up pictures of oh, themselves. Yeah. Like it was a big thing yeah, like yeah. that she was in a bikini on Instagram. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and it was like, I think nothing salacious, like just like a, a holiday photo or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just, 
It's so interesting. Paige, yeah. would you post a thirst pick? Are we going to post a thirst pick now for the podcast? <laughs> I was just thinking, at Kyle, as you were sharing about the process and I'm like picturing, I don't know, just kind of like fantasizing being on one of your shoots. Um, <laughs> I was thinking like what mine would look like, mm, like what yeah. my equivalent would be. Let's get into it. Yeah, we, yes. Yeah. Let's let's get to it now. <laughs> yeah, I have my ring light. <laughs> oh hey, do you know I would be there with you with the fan and the filter? <laughs> like I am your partner in this. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, but Kyle. So speaking of like embodying yourself, I wanted to talk about karate and yeah. how you shared that. That's how your parents met. It seems like it's a big part of your family of origin does derive from Japanese culture. And we talked, you know, about your biracial identity, but I'm more curious about how it's shaped your life story, your beauty aspect. And like my impression of it is it does incorporate a lot of mind and body control, maybe Mm -hmm. maybe equally, like equal parts. So I wanted to hear more about that. Yeah, I've I've been thinking about it a lot lately, um, and yeah, it was it was really foundational. Um, I mean, yeah, it's it's the reason why my parents it's the reason why I exist in a weird way, uh, <laughs> which is strange to think about pointing to something concrete like that. Um, and yeah, I well, the the irony being that I didn't like it when I was doing it. Like I I started at a young age and did it for uh about a decade um and my dad was my teacher which maybe was part of a complicated relationship uh (laughs) to have with your father um but I mean like yeah my my youth was spent like going to karate tournaments and like traveling around and before I was competing in them myself um really being in that environment so in a lot of like gymnasia and like random venues where there would be tournaments where um people from all over, all over the nation, all over the world really um, would congregate for this practice. Um, and so, yeah, it was a lot of my my upbringing uh, was around that and in that environment. And then when I started to practice myself, um, I was, gosh, I think I was like eight, eight or nine. Um, I I loved parts of it. I hated other parts of it um the what you mentioned page like the mind body like the the concentration that comes from like a somatic practice was really appealing to me and Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed the kata the like the forms and i hated the the kumite the sparring where you had to like actually like have have an opponent or whatever like i can't i I don't like that it was not for me yeah (laughs) anything uh, it was really yeah yeah i just want to learn the skills and like do it (laughs) but i don't want you coming at me yeah same and like yeah and i went to i went to tournaments a lot and i would place really highly in the in the kata categories and then would not place at all in the other ones it was like very it was very stark like I like this and I don't like this and I'm not want to, that like stubborn contrarian thing was present even when I was that age. I was like, I don't want to do this. My heart isn't in it. Um, but like, it's, it's been really pivotal. And I think like often I, I like forgot it. I think I forgot that that was an important part of my childhood because I would look back at my childhood 
um, like post facto and be like, oh, I was like such a sedentary kid. I didn't really do anything. I wasn't in my body, but I was, I had this like 10 years of practice around, um, around martial arts, which absolutely was an embodied practice, but I just sort of, I think it was so ingrained in me that I didn't realize that it was a thing that I was intentionally doing. Mm. Um, and I've had a, some kind of movement practice for my whole life. So it's definitely laid a foundation for that. And um, yeah, I, th I think particularly with karate, it was like a kind of like uh, stoic, this is a really stoic beauty to it. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. It's like, it, it's a kind of minimalism, it like a, a, an economy of movement that I think is really beautiful. And like this dedication to um, like having a peaceful intent, but being able to defend yourself in, in the case of necessity. Um, mm -hmm. So like never being aggressive, but always like um, having the, I don't know, the esteem to carry yourself through a conflict and the tools to be able to like, I don't know, prevent undue harm to yourself, I think is really, really important. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's definitely a through line for my life to that kind of like, uh, there's, a, there's a confidence that comes from that. There's a kind of like austerity or like um, essential, you're like a, a refinement to the essential that I think is, is kind of a, a value that I hold still. Mm -hmm. Speaking of mind and body, <laughs> you also just started doing pole dancing class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I need to know everything because I've been wanting <laughs> to do this for so many years oh. and trying to find the right studio. Well, Paige and I are both dancers. Like we come from dance oh, background. Cool. Uh -huh. um, I've been to many strip clubs. I don't know if that like adds to the value of this. <laughs> yeah, that'll help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I've, I think I'm looking for like the right type of studio and the right mm -hmm. type of teacher. And yeah. um and I haven't found one, but also I'm terrified because I have zero core strength and zero upper body <laughs> strength. And I know that is like, I can twerk upside down on the oh wall. Yeah. Uh -huh. I thought I couldn't. And then I took a class <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is very easy because my, like, uh -huh. I have very strong thighs and booty, but right. upper body and core, this is what you need for pole. Mm. And so mm. tell me like, what made you decide to start uh, like learning this and like, how has this like impacted the way you think about your body and beauty maybe? Mm, yeah. Well, I would, I would first say like, if you want to build core and arm strength, then you should take a pole class. No, no. Uh, you can take a pole class when I'm coming to visit. Uh, okay. Just saying, if you want to do that. Um, I got the heels. I was telling in the Jamie <laughs> oh, nice. episode, like I bought these heels before pandemic and they're like, they're like Michelle Pfeiffer Scarface vibes, like oh super high gold, kind of trashy. I love, I love mm. like, I love like intentional trashy stuff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and Absolutely. I haven't worn them because then we got into a pandemic. And so yeah. I can't live out my fantasy of being like a Coke dealer's girlfriend. Like, <laughs> 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 but if we do the full dancing class and I can wear it there. Yes. Yeah. That's a really <laughs> strong aesthetic. Also, I like that a lot. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's been so, f I'm very, very novice. Like it's been a couple months. Um, so like, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but, um, yeah, it's been, it's been incredible. It's so much fun. It's like, what made you decide to start it or is it something um, you've always wanted to do or 
I, I've wanted to do it for a while. Um, I don't think I could identify why I've, I've done like hip hop classes sometimes through my, through my life, but that didn't feel quite it for me. Um, and I have a, I have a fair amount of like facility and strength from, uh, yoga. I I've done yoga for 12 years or so. Um, and was an instructor. So like I had, I had the kind of like, uh, I have the, the body knowledge or like the kinesthetic awareness mm-hmm. that I think helps with, with that. I don't have a dance background, but, um, I think that helped. Um, and I don't know. I just think it's really, I'm, I've always been like so impressed by dancers, strippers, whatever, whatever they call themselves in their profession, just like the strength involved and like the way that you make things look easy and comfortable, even though I know now from firsthand experience that it is extremely painful and extremely difficult. (laughs) And uh, so like, I have an interest in that way. I've also, um, one of my uh, former partners is a a ballet dancer, was a ballet dancer. Mm. Um, And uh, just like such incredible um, physical ability and I have several mm-hmm. friends um through through him uh in the ballet world from that and always felt like so in awe of them but also like that context was not for me like uh like a classic dance studio environment with like the mirrors and you're doing I don't know like that it's intense yeah. I remember yeah, my ballet and... teacher when I was young you could still hit students and she oh my would God. whack us she had her Dang. stick and we were like you know seven <laughs> but yeah so like I don't I don't know I I I'm a pretty like informal person and I'm like more comfortable in like in like a like a strip club kind of setting than I am in like a very like formal whatever academic (laughs) kind of setting so like it 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 was sort of this confluence of factors of like interest and like um wanting to do something that's like a challenge and like interestingly engaging for the body um, and I just, I think it's really hot too. Like, it's just, like having, mm-hmm. uh, I think, I think one thing that I didn't realize that I really wanted from like a physical practice is something that was mostly just aesthetic mm-hmm. because everything else, every other movement practice that I've had, there's like a purpose mm-hmm. behind it or like this like underlying whatever, this intention or purpose. Yeah. And not that not that pole doesn't have a purpose, but like mm-hmm. there is such a strong emphasis of like how do you look? What are your lines like? Can you make this this climb or this spin look effortless? And it's like really a focus on like how it looks and the um the way that you carry yourself as a as a dancer. And I think that um I really craved that because there's something really beautiful about that. And right? that look like, is very different for each body. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, you can do the same so spin, cool. it looks very different. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've noticed that from classes too. It's like, and not only is it different, it's like, it all looks great. Like you yeah. look so good yeah. no matter what you're doing. Um, or no matter what your, your body is, is like, uh, if you're doing a spin and you can do it with some level of dexterity, like you look amazing. So it's, it's such a cool, it's a, such a cool thing. It's a cool and meaningful thing to be able to like focus your, focus your body, focus your like physical, I don't know, physical awareness, physical existence into something that's just purely for like looking good and hot and like expressing (laughs) yourself. Like that is the purpose and that's the only purpose really. Um, And that's, it's it's a difference from the other practices that I've had. And I think it's just like, 
it's so rad. When else do we get that chance to yeah, do that? Exactly. I got to think about this. Yeah. Paige, have you ever thought about doing a pole dancing class? So I did. I did do pole dancing. Yes. Um, oh my god. In the Bay Area with another mom who was a ballet, <gasps> ballet teacher. And so she's a mother of two. I have one. And so we would meet, I think it was like Tuesday and Thursday nights, like from seven to nine or seven 30 to wow. nine. And we do our pole class and we would film each other. And I, um, so my background actually was as a gymnast and then dance oh, wow. just after retiring, you could say dance was kind of second nature after all of the training I had as a gymnast. Yeah. So pole was actually really I mean, I don't know now it's been like three years, but at the time it was pretty easy for me. Wow. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> okay. Wait, so I need to know from both of you, what is your pole dancing song? Oh God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is and like, what is your pole dancing song? And like, what do you, like, what is your theme? Like, what are you wearing? Like, what's your brand mm. on the pole? <laughs> I feel like mine is like the Rihanna. What's that song? That's like. Come on, rude boy, boy. Once you get it, oh, out. you're a fast beat. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And then, like, what are you wearing? Like, what's your costume? Or oh, I was always just like in boy shorts and a tank, like a crop tank and uh-huh. heels. But I mean, like, if you were at a strip club, this would be your outfit. Oh, with that song, probably a leotard. <laughs> Because uh-huh. I was right. in oh, gymnast cool. for so long. That's so cool. Oh, yeah. very nice. Oh, Maybe God. with you the ribbons. Get... <laughs> like everybody so needs cool. an accessory. Oh my God. You could get one with like cutouts. Yeah. Popular right now. That'd be so cool. Or like, like 80s themes, super high cut and yeah. like super sexy. Oh, I love this. So <laughs> what about you, Kyle? What's your um, song in your yes. outfit? Yes. Okay. So. Tamsin asked me this recently. <laughs> I and I've been thinking about it. I, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can name a specific song, but the artist is Doja Cat for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. They're, I think specifically something off of um, Amala, one of her albums. And I think it's that because like, she's very chaotic <laughs> and has a lot of like variety even in her songs. And I, I think I would thrive on that. Um, I like the, uh, I really like a high concept, absurd thing. And so I think similarly, I would have something like that with my routine. Like I would do weird shit really well. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'd probably do like a little floor work or something, like make some kind of weird, crazy shapes, but like do it with a high degree of, of uh, like execution. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> what would I wear? It's a good question. I think I like, I mean, not a lot, <laughs> but I think, yeah. be, I think it would be pretty minimal. Um, I might have some like eye makeup or something. Um, maybe like, I don't know, something something minimal, mm-hmm. but expensive looking. Mm. Um, like, I don't know, some nice briefs or like maybe a jockstrap. I don't know if that's too much. It's not too much. I could wear it. Like <laughs> it's um, your fantasy. It's your world. It's my fantasy, yeah. <laughs> some, like, some like expensive understated thing, I think. And yes. just like let the, let the movement speak for itself. Yeah, it's um, high fashion. Yeah, have a concept, you know, don't distract from the concept. I think <laughs> is my underlying principle. Oh my God, I love this. This is so great. I learned so much about both of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us today. Um, oh, my so before we end, I, I, you know, we always kind of wrap this up. 
Um, we learned so much about your beauty journey and I'm wondering how do you define beauty? So like in other words, like what is this beauty legacy that you want to leave behind? Mm, wow. Beauty legacy. Um, I think that, I mean, okay. I think, I think beauty is simultaneously a couple different things. Um, mm. I think one of the things is kind of all of the influences that we have absorbed, um, all of the like cultural messages around it, all of the things that we've internalized, whether they be good or bad, I think they encompass all of it. Um, and it's the intersection of that with your own sense of your own identity and the ways that you bring forth your own confidence. Mm. So I think it's, I think beauty is um, how those two things interact. And I think it's messy and complicated and encompasses both positive and negative aspects, but it comes together to form this unique existence. And I think that's really fundamentally beautiful. So I think, I think my legacy around it, um, around beauty would be to encourage people to embrace everything that comes together and converges to create their image and own it because that's ultimately what it's about is is your own subjectivity and your experience of of the complication and uniqueness that makes your beauty mm, i love it yeah Wow. Well, Kyle, thank you so much again. And could you share with our listeners where people can find you and whether you have upcoming events that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, so you can follow me on Instagram. My handle is... Uh, <laughs> now after at... we drop that, you put thirst pigs. And yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, if you're jump in my DMs. Uh, <laughs> it's it's uh, at year of the Kyle on Instagram. Um, I also have a newsletter through Substack. It's called I love your newsletter. Thank you. I talk about um, all manner of things, but specifically it's kind of through a lens of of, um, of food. And I use food as a lens and a means through which to process my trauma. Yeah, <laughs> so we didn't get to talk about food. But I mean, yeah. also Kyle puts like these, he's just, a, they're just a really good writer. And there's anecdotes that you share about your life and then you relate it to food and these recipes and it's it's a it's a really good newsletter <laughs> thank you yeah it's been a little bit dormant but i have things planned so definitely sign up there just like an email thing and i won't bug you too much um but i will give you deep confessions into my life <laughs> yeah give me a follow <laughs> jump in my dms uh and yeah hopefully see you around Awesome. For our listeners, you can find Kyle's information in our show notes. We're going to put it all in there. Um, and be sure to check out our next episode where Paige and I chat about our convo with Kyle and unpack what we've learned about our own beauty legacy. So see you next time. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Kyle. Well, that's it for today. If you like this episode, please give us a five-star rating subscribe, and share it with your friends. You can follow us on Instagram at beautyasabirthright and say hello. If you're interested in learning more about Taoist face reading, head over to elementalarchetypes.com and follow Dr. Tamsin on Instagram at elementalarchetypes. If you like to explore beauty through your own hands, 
you can visit youngface.com. You may also explore Paige's Instagram at young.face for tutorials, Chinese medicine theory, and candid thoughts on cultural appreciation.